0: God will make a way Where there seems to be no way He works in ways we cannot see He will make a way for me He will be my guide and Draw me closer to His side With love and Away way where there seems to be no way. He works in ways we cannot see. He will make a way for me. He will be my God and hold me closely to His side. With love and strength He will make a way. He will make a way. Yes, God will make a way. He will make.
1: You, Nathan. Thank you, brother. We are so wow. I stand up and I turn around and we're full. Every Sunday I share that with That's what it is. I sit down and people are still kind of coming in. I stand up here to welcome you, and the God's house is full. Amen? Amen? Welcome to Sovereign Grace Baptist Church. Y'all glad to be in the house of the Lord? I have never had anyone answer that question. No. If you think you're if you think you're in the wrong house, if you think you're in the wrong church, talk to me afterwards. So uh But I'm glad that you guys are here. It's good to be in God's house today on this cold Sunday morning, and you made it here with one hour less of sleep. Everybody everybody, remember to set their clocks? We don't have to worry about that anymore because our cell phones and all of our digital stuff does it for us anymore, right? We don't even have to remember to turn it. But now my watches, I have to set those, but we, we made it. Amen? Amen. Well, God bless you guys. Um, are there any children that need to be dismissed at this time? If so, they may go. Um, and they can go and be in their little area. Usually the littlest ones are the ones who go, and parents, you decide that. We have some visitors with us today, and I just encourage you that you as parents decide if your children will be in here with us or if they need to go. Amen? Amen. Goodbye. bye. going to stay in here today, or is AJ going to go? She's on the front row. We're trying to, There she goes. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Usually AJ says goodbye to me, but today she didn't want to say Goodbye. She's got Nana, right? Not, yeah. Nana's more important than Pastor Bryant. Absolutely, as it should be. Amen. Well, God bless you guys. We do have some visitors with us this morning. I want to say thank you for coming to Sovereign Grace. Welcome. Um, and, uh, please make yourselves at home. This is God's house. And just, I pray that you just feel comfortable here. And also, uh, Tim and Joanne Cody, they're back here in the back row. I think they're past their disease and their, uh, sickness and, Travels, you've also been traveling, taking care of family as well. It's good to see them back as well. Amen? Amen? Amen. Well, if you'll turn with me, please, to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 14, as we continue through this wonderful Gospel. Has it been good going through Matthew's Gospel to just dig deep into the ministry of Jesus our Lord? I've, I've, as I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed the privilege of studying through this Gospel myself um, in a deeper way. Um, and thank you for giving me the privilege of coming to you this morning, uh, and let's just understand God's Word together. We're going to be reading from Matthew chapter 14, verses 13 through 21. So if you're able to stand, let's stand in reverence for the reading of God's Word, and I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Now, when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now, when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. Verse 17, they said to him, we have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for your son, Jesus Christ. You have provided for us the only hope we have as sinners. You have given us an avenue through the blood of your son, Jesus Christ, this redemption that that is not of our making. You have given us all that we could ever hope for to be restored and redeemed and brought back to you. And so, God, we thank you for that truth. And Lord, as you've allowed us to read your word this morning, we see you working in a mighty way. Jesus Christ has done a mighty miracle here. He has fed more people with little than we could ever imagine to do. Yet, God, I thank you that you're showing us in this word that the disciples had a role in this too. And so, God, I pray this morning that as your children, we, your Christians, your church, I pray, God, you would allow us to see your hand at work in this message, that we would see your hand at work in this narrative, that we would see how you provide, but you call us to be your people too something that's above us, that's beyond us, that overwhelms us. Lord, we are overwhelmed by the calling that you've called us to. And Lord, we need you. So Lord, I pray this morning you'd speak to us and that you would guide us and love us. In Jesus' name, amen. Please have a seat. This is an interesting text. Most people are, even if they are not a Christian, they are familiar with the feeding of the 5,000. To some level. And so this morning, we're going to explore this single greatest miracle that Jesus ever performed in his ministry. The feeding of the 5,000 is the grandest and the probably, the, the, it's the largest miracle of Jesus's ministry. We say this about the feeding of the 5,000 because this narrative is recorded in all four gospels. No other miracle of Jesus is recorded and testified to in all four Gospels equally. That's important to remember. This account of Jesus and his disciples feeding 5,000 men plus women and children. That leads up to a a conservative estimate by most scholars is around 25,000 people if you count women and children with the men. That's a big number. It's the only miracle of all of Jesus' miracles, again, recorded in all four Gospels, and this is something important. We must not ignore this or, or skim over it. This miracle of feeding 5,000 men is located at the climax of Jesus' ministry account in all of the Gospels. This is the climax, the big show, the big miracle, the big teaching that all are to hear Now, if you're taking notes, if you're looking at where is this recorded in the other Gospels, of course, here we have Matthew 14, verses 13 through 21. It's also recorded in Mark chapter 6, verses 30 to 44, Luke chapter 9, verses 10 through 17, and then John's account, John chapter 6, verses 1 through 15. I encourage you if if, after today, if you wish to go home, just set all of these accounts aside by side and read the different nuances in the details that the gospel authors give us. It all points to the one big picture here, this big miracle of Jesus. Imagine, if you will, hearing traumatic news as what Jesus would have learned here. Because when we look in the previous passages, um, at last week when we looked at verses 1 through 12, we read about John the Baptist and his martyrdom, his beheading. And if we look down here at the end of Matthew 14 uh, in that section of John's beheading, um, verse 10, he sent and had John beheaded in the prison, verse 11, and his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl. She brought it to her mother. And verse 12 is the key point here for today. And his disciples, these are John's disciples, and his disciples came and took the body and buried it. And they went and told Jesus. That is the context of how the feeding of the 5,000 now plays. Imagine hearing the traumatic news of John's beheading and all that occurred there in that narrative. Jesus would have received this news. He had learned about his cousin, John the Baptist. Imagine, if you will, that this news comes during the busiest time of your ministry when the spiritually hungry come from everywhere to be with you, to pull upon you, to demand from you. This is the context that Jesus is in and his disciples. They had just heard traumatic news. You can imagine the grief that was swelling up in Jesus and his disciples. You can imagine the grief and just listening to the details of the gory, uh of the gory story of John's martyrdom, and you're overwhelmed. Yet you also have crowds of people pulling on you at the same time. That's the context we have here. Jesus' disciples, uh that at this point, his twelve, they've completed the mission that Jesus sent them on back in Matthew 10. Remember, he sent them out in Matthew 10 to go and and speak and to preach the gospel to all of the surrounding villages. And now that mission is over and they've come back here to Jesus. Now they return and they, they too, these disciples of Jesus are just as devastated at the news of John's beheading after their grand or their great mission as Jesus is overwhelmed by the story of his cousin and his dear friend. And so you see the context, what happens if you're in that kind of a situation? Rightly so, you are now ready to step back and go somewhere quiet and recharge. That's what's happening here in this context. So Jesus and his disciples, they need rest and they need refreshment. And Jesus requires a place alone with himself and with his 12. They need this. Jesus needs to minister to his 12, and Jesus also needs to allow his own spirit to rest. Jesus here, he's also, he's wanting to withdraw here to a quiet place to prepare his 12, his 12 disciples for their own future martyrdom as well. Remember, John the Baptist was not the only one to die for Christ. These 12 disciples that Jesus is ministering to and who will actually carry out this grand miracle of feeding, they too are facing a future of martyrdom. And so Jesus knowing this, Jesus being God himself who knows all things to come, (laughs) knows what he has to do with these 12 to prepare them to carry on the ministry of the gospel, to carry on the ministry of establishing the church, but also to prepare them for you too, will face the same end that John the Baptist does. You see what's what's going on here? So verse 13, let's take a look here at verse 13. Now, when Jesus heard this, this is the news of his his cousin John. He withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. That's the context. He goes away by himself to grieve. He, He gets into this boat with his disciples to leave for a desolate place, a place away from the cities, a place to be alone. It's hard to imagine the pain here. You can imagine the pain of, of what, what they're going through. And these disciples of John who report to Jesus, they would have also been deeply moved because they loved their prophet John the Baptist, they loved their teacher. Jesus withdrew from the crowds to be by himself, but also with his apostles, his twelve, those disciples to this lonely place. Because Mark chapter six, verse thirty-one gives us the detail here. He gives us a little bit more explanation that Jesus, even though he was by himself, he's also with his disciples. Here's what Mark thirty Mark six, thirty-one and thirty-two says. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves, plural. So whereas Matthew's account initially in verse 13 says that Jesus goes by himself, Mark's account shows that they were all together by themselves. Same idea, but they're all together here. Let's look here in verse 14. At the end of verse 13, even though they, they draw right look here at the end of 13. But when the crowds heard it, the crowds heard that Jesus and his disciples had left. What do they do? They tag right along, <laughs> as they always do. They followed him on foot from the towns. Jesus and his disciples go across the Sea of Galilee in a boat. And the crowds who were drawn to Jesus and the disciples, oh, Jesus is going to the other side. Let's beat him. That happens. Y'all ever have people just just pulling on you all the time and they just they want to go ahead of you. They won't leave you alone. You know what that's like? Most parents who have little ones at home understand what that's like. If you've got a very demanding job, you know what that's like. And this is Jesus and his disciples here. The crowds follow. Verse 14, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. See, the crowd got there before him. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. And notice this, in the midst of Jesus's grief and his exhaustion, what does it say in verse 14? And he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. In the midst of this time of grief and sorrow and overwhelming pressure in ministry, Jesus is withdrawing to go to a quiet place. Yet what happens, as always does in the gospels, the crowds beat him there. But notice how Jesus looks upon this great crowd with compassion. You notice that? And he teaches them and he, and he performs miracles or he heals their sick. Matthew tells us here that they, when they get there, they just pour into them. John's account, actually John chapter six, verse two tells us that these crowds follow Jesus. Here's the thing. Because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Why did the crowds follow Jesus? Because of what Jesus was doing, what Jesus was teaching. He was healing people. I mean, if, if you're at this context in this day and age, if you had a grand miracle worker like Jesus in your midst, you would be following him wherever he went if you were in dire need. And that's why these people were going. John's gospel tells us because... They saw the signs that he, Jesus, was doing. That's why they followed him. This point, I think, is significant because in John's account, John chapter 6 later, John indicates that these same crowds, after Jesus feeds them, were disappointed in Jesus. That's a little detail in John chapter 6. These great crowds chased Jesus and the disciples. Jesus Conducts and performs the greatest miracle of the scriptures, and the crowds were disappointed in Jesus afterwards. Just a, l- but you know, even in that, notice how Jesus loves these folks. He had compassion for them. But then in John chapter 6 as well, Jesus tells them, you only follow me because of the free meal. You don't love me. John, Jesus even confronts them in their, in their ungratitude, right? Matthew chapter 14, verse 14 here shows us that Jesus, it shows the great compassion he had for these people, these lost sheep, because they followed him to the other side of the Sea of Galilee and were waiting for him there. Jesus and his apostles, actually, John's account says they go up to the top of the mountain in John chapter six, verse three. Even though they're they're surrounded by the crowds there as they come off the shore, they still try to withdraw a little bit to get a little more distance. So they go up a little bit onto a mountainside. It was the time of the Passover. John chapter 6 verse 4 tells us that this time was the time of the Passover. A time of the feast where God provided the covering of sin. Remember the Passover? The story of the Jewish tradition? where they were enslaved in Egypt and God sends the, sends the angel of death and he says, if you do what I tell you, if you slaughter the sacrificial lamb, if you, paint the, if you paint blood on your doorposts, when the death angel comes, he will pass over your household. That becomes a very significant part of the Jewish tradition that then points to even deeper the coming of Christ who, who provides the blood necessary for the penalty of sin so that the wrath of God is appeased. So this time of the feeding of the five thousand it's the time of the passover according to John chapter 6 verse 4. So it seems that Jesus despite his great exhaustion and despite his need for rest, despite his great sorrow for his for the loss of his friend, his cousin his prophet John the Baptist, Jesus felt sorrow and compassion for the people who longed to be near him even still. Isn't that amazing? That's important here at the center of this. Look here at verse 15. Now, when it was evening, the disciples came to him, Jesus, and said, This is a desolate place or a lonely place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. Notice that Jesus' response to his 12 when they ask him for this, right? His 12 come to him. We get the indication it's the end of the day. Jesus has been ministering all day long, even in his exhaustion. He's been healing the sick. He's been teaching. At the end of the day, the disciples come to Jesus and they say, send the people away so that they can fend for themselves. But notice Jesus' reaction to them here. What is Jesus' reaction verse 16, it's important. Jesus said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. Underline that. If, if you write in your Bibles, I mean, it's one thing that Jesus Jesus does this great miracle. But notice here in verse 16, as the disciples, now notice this, these are students of the master Jesus, and they are all the time coming to Jesus and telling him what he should do. Y'all have students like that? Y'all have kids like that? Y'all have employees like that? (laughs) These disciples come to Jesus. I think they're trying to help. I think maybe that's what, but I don't know. Jesus, why don't you just send these people away? They're independent. They can fend for themselves. Why do they do that? They need Jesus, but Jesus says they need not go away. You give them something to eat. That's important in the midst of this miracle. Because we think about this as rightly so. Jesus does something divine here. He does something here that is supernatural here. He does all this, but in the midst of this, notice what he tells his disciples. I'm not sending them away. You feed them. Hmm. Joe Loretta's up here just grinning real big. He loves this kind of stuff because Jesus calls his church to feed the lost of the world. Feed them the spiritual nourishment that they crave, feed them the physical needs of their body. I'm calling you, church, to do this. Notice that. We see the impact here in this verse upon his disciples. They feel that they've got nothing to give to this great crowd. Whenever Jesus calls these disciples here to do this, notice they are overwhelmed. That's what Jesus does. Y'all ever been overwhelmed with something that God has called you to do? He set something in front of you that you're not expecting. No way, God, I cannot do this. It's too big. Send them away. And what does Jesus say? (laughs) He says, you do it. These disciples, are. they feel that they've got nothing to give to this great crowd. The the, the need is overwhelming. The task is bigger than they are. And notice what they tell him here in verse 16, or actually verse 17, as Jesus says, you give them something to eat. So now they want to tell Jesus the reality. Verse 17, they said to him, we have only five loaves here and two fish. All right, Jesus, you want us to feed him. Let me tell you how ridiculous this request is, Jesus. How in the world are we going to feed 25,000 people, remember, 5,000 men besides the women and the children. They didn't have small families back then. You had a lot of kids. Each family probably had five or more kids, kind of like here at Sovereign Grace Baptist Church. I don't think we have a single family in this church that has less than, four, uh, well, four kids is about average, right? Four kids at least, it seems like. I don't know, Nathan and Crystal, you got two. You got some more to catch enough to do there, but see where we're going? But big people, big families, lots. And imagine this. You probably got teenagers in this crowd. There goes another overwhelming need. How are you going to feed all them? Jesus says, you feed them. And the disciples rightly so. They look and assess, what have they got? We only have five loaves here and two fish. Now, John's account, John chapter 6, gives us a, more of the detail. John chapter 6 says, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? So even, even John's account tells us where the five loaves and the two fish come from, a young boy in the crowd that the disciples located. Now, I, I have a hard time believing that out of 25,000 people, there was only one boy with any kind of lunch. Probably some more food, probably out there somewhere, but still the point is this, there wasn't enough. But all that was there, all that they had to work with was five loaves of bread and two fish, dried fish. And what does Jesus say? That'll do. That'll do. Now you can imagine as the disciples looking at your master teacher thinking, okay, we have signed up for a crazy mission here. All right, Jesus, here you go. You see how the, see how the kingdom of heaven works here? It seems here that Jesus' plan is to provide what his people need and then to provide what others need. We're going to see this here. Who provided the five loaves and the two fish to the little boy in the crowd? God did. Who provided the five loaves and the two fish to Jesus to bless? The disciples did. They brought these things to him. All that God had provided, they brought it to Jesus and Jesus blesses it. He looked up to heaven and said a blessing. An example to his disciples, an example to us. How many people here you actually pray over the meal that you partake in each day? How many families, how many people do we stop and we pause before we eat as Jesus has paused here and give a blessing? Asking the Father, please bless this as an act of gratitude. Dear Father, thank you for providing what you have given us today. You see the example here? Now, as Jesus looks up to heaven and prays a blessing over the food, Now, who provides the food to the people? The disciples. You notice the order here? God the Father does through the boys' lunch, who then gets to Jesus to bless, and then Jesus gives it to the disciples to bless the crowds. You Notice the order here? Verse 19, this verse shows us the order by which God establishes His kingdom in the world. What we see here in this miracle of feeding many, many, many people, we see here also the example by which God establishes His kingdom in the world. Notice the structure of authority and the distribution of the kingdom of heaven here. Verse 19, then He broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowd. Notice the order here. Notice the language of authority structure here. God provided, Jesus blessed, Jesus gave it to the disciples, the disciples gave it to the people. Notice the order here. That is how the kingdom of heaven is structured as God designed it to be. Jesus expected his disciples, these apostles, as they would become, to do the work of the kingdom. Yet yet he also expected his disciples to depend upon him for the work. I want you to do this, my 12, but I want you also to depend on me in the process as you do it. That's how the kingdom works, folks. Are we aware of that? Are we faithful to that? Or how many times do we get overwhelmed with the needs of this fallen world and we just lay down and quit or we send the needy away because it's impossible for us to do? What that is is a sign of a lack of faith that Jesus Christ has brought the need before us and we are not depending on Christ to provide for the need that he is asking us to fulfill. Notice the order here. That right there is the miracle at, boy, That's that's the miracle at work here. That's the miracle that Jesus is doing. He is blessing and feeding thousands of people in a supernatural way. Yet that supernatural way is also showing these men, these disciples, the supernatural way to feed others. The church, we, the church by God's design, we are the hand of the father and the hand of the son amidst the needs of our fallen world. We are called to this as Jesus is establishing the kingdom of heaven here in the gospels that plays out to us as well. We are God's people we are jesus's disciples we are the ones we are the church who now feeds the fallen world We're not, not only physically but more so spiritually we are called to do this and it's an overwhelming task It's beyond what we can do. Yet if we are obedient and faithful to our Lord and our Savior, we will come to him and say, okay, Jesus, here's what you've given us to do. It's overwhelming. If it was up to me, we'd send everybody away. But you've called me to do this. You're going to have to provide. You're going to have to bless. You're going to have to show me how it's going to work because I can't figure it out. Been there? The church by God's design, we are the hand of the Father and the Son amidst the needs of our fallen world. This is God's design. This is how He has ordered the church. This is how He has ordered His kingdom. These disciples, they cared for the spiritual needs of the people by providing for their physical needs. They used only what God provided and nothing more. They used exactly what Jesus blessed Something impossible to do. You know, you see, when we read the feeding of the 5,000, the reason it's a miracle is because there is no way naturally this could happen. The definition of miracle is that which naturally happens by supernatural means. In other words, if, if it was up to the natural way of doing things, these people would have either gone hungry or they'd have had to go home. But supernaturally, something occurred in the natural world that you cannot explain. That's the definition of a miracle. That's why miracles do not happen every day. Now, there's some in this room who may question that. But the definition of miracle is this. It's something that does not happen every day because the natural order of things happen the way that God designed them to be. And when God intervenes in that natural order, that is a miracle. That's what happened here. I mean, anyone with... with Common sense and, and, a, and a focused mind could read this and say, OK, that is something that no one could ever predicted could have happened. No way that you could explain how it happened. The only way that this happened is that Jesus Christ himself prayed over this food and it it satisfied the need. And then some. That's the only way that this happened. Amen. The spiritual death of fallen humanity here was cared for by the physical needs of the body. Now, can you imagine being in this great crowd? I don't know if the details, how quickly the details spread through the crowd uh, about what was going on, but if you can imagine being there and thinking, okay, I'm here in this crowd. You weren't thinking about eating. The only thing you were thinking about was following Jesus. And suddenly food shows up. Now, you didn't see any food trucks out on the perimeter. You didn't see a, 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 a kitchen out there, a kitchen tent somewhere where somebody was cooking suddenly food starts coming around in baskets. Where'd that come from? I don't know how quickly the, 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 the news spread, but it must have spread enough to where everybody understood what was going on. This was a time where the soul was cared for through the physical needs of the body. Where did this come from? Where did this food come from? Now Notice that this was the idea of the Passover. The idea of the the time of the Passover. But if you look also from the time of the Passover to the time of the Exodus, through the wandering in the wilderness, it was was God's people that were also provided for as God provided manna for them on their 40-year journey. Same thing's happening here, yet it's not manna from heaven. It's bread and fish that a little boy had that he gave to the disciples. And Jesus blessed it, and it was more than enough. Now let's look here in verse 20 and 21. We now know what happened here in the miracle. Everyone has fed. Verse 20, and they all ate and were satisfied. Not just, it's not that they got a snack. They all ate and were satisfied, even the teenagers. There's the miracle right there, if you want to underline that. Even the teenagers in Scripture, we could declare they were satisfied for once. Some of you are laughing at my jokes. Some of you are just rolling your eyes at my jokes. I raised two teenage boys. Rhonda and I, we raised two teenage boys and we survived. And now we've got more money in our pocket than we ever had before because they're gone. No. My father said the same thing about me, okay, so I can say that about my boys. And they all ate and were satisfied, and they took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over. Not only were they satisfied, there was more left over. Notice that in these final verses that this multiplication of the food was more than enough for the people. Twelve baskets of leftovers were enough to carry the people through at least for another day. Probably had some left. I don't know what they did with the 12 baskets. We don't have that detail. But they had enough. Jesus provided not just what was needed in the moment. He provided enough to preserve for a future need here. That's the bigger part of the miracle. This is how the work of the church of the kingdom of heaven plays out. God provides all that we need. And we provide the needs of others. We live by the faith by doing the faith. We live out the faith by doing it. That's what these disciples were doing as Jesus blessed the food. And it supernaturally expanded These disciples were living out faith, showing the crowds that they could trust Jesus Christ. He will provide for you, not just your physical needs, but more so. Jesus will provide for your spiritual decline. He will provide for your sins and more so than you could ever imagine. This is how the work of the church of the kingdom plays out. We have faith in Jesus. Jesus has faith in us. I think we see that here, too. Now, even Jesus, as he, from time to time, was very sarcastic with his disciples and pointing out their lack of faith. <laughs> Jesus had to trust his disciples here to obey what he told them to do. Have faith in me, disciples. Have faith in me. Just bring me what you got, and I'll give you what you need because I want you to take care of these people. And these disciples, they had a, they learned a lesson here as well. Remember, the context here is that Jesus withdrew from the crowds and from the cities with his disciples for two reasons, one to grieve, another to rest, but also to prepare his disciples to begin the process of preparing them to take the ministry on after Jesus's death and resurrection. That's what, the, this, was, this was a great lesson for these disciples. You can trust me, folks. That's what Jesus is telling them. You can trust me in this. You see, the call of the church is to be the church in a fallen world. Now, that's a phrase that is actually used a lot these days. Let's go be the church. Matter of fact, some churches will, will not worship on Sunday morning because they want to go be the church Sunday, which I think is fine if it works. You know, if you got the people who want to go do it, you know, and it's the appropriate thing, we've not done that here, but you know. I'd rather worship on Sunday morning and then go take care of people Sunday afternoon. Now, unless there's an emergency on Sunday morning, I got it. You know, emergencies happen. Go be with the people. But the call of the church is to be the church, to live out the faith by doing the faith. We are to proclaim the truth of salvation to all who listen. That's the first thing. We are to proclaim the truth of salvation to all who will listen. The context of the feeding of the 5,000 here is not just that the disciples and Jesus were giving out free food. The context here was that Jesus was teaching. That's why they were following He was teaching the truth. He was healing the sick. He was casting out demons. He was proclaiming salvation. The food was a necessary thing in the context. Christians here were called by Christ to be the kingdom of heaven We're called to be and we're actually called into our cultural context. You know that idea of the cultural context? You know what that means? That means right now in this very minute, in this very time of history, in this country, in this state, in this city, in this county, we are in a particular cultural context and God has placed us here at this time. These disciples and these crowds, they were in a particular cultural context, and Jesus said, here is the need, here is how I want to fulfill this, and he does so in a miraculous way. We are called as the church As part of the kingdom of heaven, we are called into a particular cultural context. This means that we live in this particular time and place in this particular season where the gospel is to be proclaimed and the gospel is to be lived. The cultural context here is that these disciples in this crowd, they were fed. There was a need. Notice that there were hungry people here. These 5,000 men plus family were spiritually hungry. That's why they were following Jesus. And Jesus fed them spiritual truth through his preaching and his teaching. And these 5,000 were also physically hungry. Why? Because they had traveled a longer and harder distance to get to Jesus than they would have normally traveled in a particular day. They left their villages and their towns. They left their jobs, their work for the day to go follow Jesus. And they had to hike around the lake, around the sea. They went farther than they would normally do in a day. They were drawn to the gospel truth. They were drawn to Jesus. And Jesus instructs his 12 here to feed those hungry souls not spiritually as not just spiritually but physically these folks sacrificed their physical well-being to be here to hear the gospel and Jesus says i'm going to take care of them jesus had compassion on them and he wanted his disciples to do the same these disciples were to have compassion on these crowds not just send them away They were to have compassion and fulfill the needs of these people. These, these disciples were not only distributing food, they were also growing the spirit in these people. They were nurturing the body and they were nurturing the soul. But now notice that these 12, they did not do this thing on their own. On contrary, this thing, contrary, they were just as dependent upon Jesus as the 5,000 were. We get that impression here because they come to Jesus and say, this is impossible. Jesus, if you want us to do this, you're going to have to do something. You're going to have to show us what we're not seeing here. You ever been there? Okay, Jesus, you're, you're putting me in a particular context. You're putting me with a particular people. And I see that you've got me called. You're calling me to a particular need. I can't do this, Lord. That's exactly where Jesus wants us to be. Notice that? It's exactly where he wants us to be. You see, these 12, they were, they were in this crowd. They, they had an overwhelming ministry. There were lost sheep in need of a shepherd. And Jesus led these 12 to be shepherds of the lost sheep in this moment. The great miracle here is that Jesus did provide everything necessary for all who were with him, both the great crowd and his 12. That's the miracle here. He provides everything. So there is nothing, nothing that Jesus does not provide when we need it. He provides everything. There's a great calling for us as the church in this cultural context right now. A lost world needs to hear the gospel. I'm going to say that again. The lost world needs to hear the gospel. They're hungry. And that gospel needs to be preached. It needs to be lived out. That's what our job is. So are we sending the lost world away? If there's a need that comes into our lives, into our circumstances, if a need comes to us, are we sending people away? Now, I will say this, there is wisdom and discernment every time there's a need that approaches us because let's just be honest, we are limited people. And there are those who will take advantage of the church. Yet, if they come to us, Jesus has brought them here for a reason. We have to be wise. We can't let a fallen person, a sinful person deceive us and take advantage of the kingdom. We have to be discerning. Jesus does send people away from time to time in the Gospels because he knows their heart. Yet in this context, (laughs) the compassion was there. I want to feed these people. Jesus will provide for the ministry He sets before us. Jesus will not disappoint. He will provide exactly what is needed, both the laborers for the harvest and more, so that the gospel will continue. Now, I'm not talking about money here. I'm talking about time, energy, (laughs) effort, provision. See where we're going? So if Jesus can feed 5,000 people plus... And he can provide to the disciples what they need to do the ministry. Can he do the same with Sovereign Grace Baptist Church? Can he do the same with your family, with your context, with your situation? Uh, if 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 he has called you to salvation, if he has called you to repentance and has redeemed you and made you new in Christ, he has given you a job, a task to do. I don't know what that is. God does. Question is, what are you doing with it? Is it overwhelming? And are you saying, I can't do this? Or are you saying, okay, Lord, I depend upon you. (laughs) I'll obey. I'll be faithful. Help me to be faithful. Help me to be faithful and do what you're asking me to do. I I think I see this in this text as well, don't you? Nathan, come on forward. So as we are wrapping up here, let's try to put, let's try to, Think on this as we, as we close out. And how do we, how do we apply this? How do we, how do we leave here today and think about, okay, God, there's a lost world out here and they need to hear the gospel. We don't manufacture the ministry. God sends the ministry to us. He places that in us, but He also places us in a particular context, in a particular time and place to fulfill what is needed. Are we able to do that? Are we willing to do that? Is there some sin in our life that is keeping us from doing that? One thing I'm thinking of is, are we being financially responsible with whatever God has given us in our own personal budgets and finances? If we are faithful and responsible in that, then we may have a little bit more to help people with. But if we are irresponsible, we are in sin and we cannot help others. That's just one example. Are we selfish and greedy to the point that we do not wish to share what the Lord has blessed us with? If that's a reality in our hearts, that's also a sin that is hindering the ministry that God has called us to do. Is our time management under control? How many people have more to do in a 24-hour period? You need like about 30 hours in a 24-hour period to even just scratch the surface of what is before you to get done. That is, the con- that is the cultural context that I'm talking about in 2022 in modern-day America. Is that something that we need to prayerfully re- discern? Okay, God, you've given me something to do, but I am so overwhelmed with my time, I can't carve out 30 minutes to pray with someone. These disciples saw something that was overwhelming and impossible. What did they do? They depended on Christ. That's what we need to do as well. Amen? Amen. Let me close this in prayer. Father God Almighty, we love you and we thank you for the truth of your word. And I pray God this morning as we, as we meditate upon this true event, this time where your son Jesus Christ feeds 5,000 men plus their families, 25,000 or more, too numerous to count, Lord, something that was beyond comprehension, something that was beyond physical ability, something that could never happen, happened. And you've allowed it to happen for a reason. And so God, this morning, I pray that you would in each and every one of us, those of us in this room who are your people, who are your church, who have been redeemed by the blood of your son, Lord, you have placed us in the same kind of a context as these disciples were placed. There is something in front of us that is overwhelming and more than we can handle. And Lord, are we depending upon you in that? Lord, you can do mighty things even still today but we see here the example that you do mighty things through your church so that we point to you and give you all glory. Remind us of that truth, Lord. Keep us humble in our arrogance. Keep us faithful, independent, so that we can honor you. Show us your mighty hand, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.